You are listening to the Startup Playground. Show where I invite entrepreneurs, startup founders, and game changers to talk about their success stories, learn from their mistakes, and hear about their interesting experiences. Hey, podcast! Welcome to the newest episode of Startup Playground Podcast. As always, it's your host Elvis, and today we have someone really great. She calls herself the Queen of UX. Helena Livison. She has founded a company called CPH UX, a community where UX designers can meet businesses another way around. Hey, Helena. Hi, Elvis. Thank you so much for having me today. Thanks for joining me. Are you excited about the autumn, by the way? Well, not particularly. I mean, it's a lot of lot of rain and a lot of wind, but it is my birthday, and that's a good thing. So when's your birthday? Eight of November. That's also actually when our pod- my own podcast called YUX is having its second year anniversary. Wow, it's been two years already. And around 11 days, my company had one year. Oh, congratulations. Okay. So I have a big, big cake, <laughs> I hope. I actually never had like a cake. I should do that. Get a big cake. You should. You should treat yourself a little bit sometimes on, you know, these special days. Anyway, how does it mean being an entrepreneur? I think uh, being an entrepreneur these days is, uh, for a lot of people, it's it's very popular. It's really hot right now to be an entrepreneur. And I think that there's a lot of people who claim to be entrepreneurs without really being entrepreneurs. But that shouldn't like take aside that it's still really awesome to be an entrepreneur. Um, it's really fast-paced and there's a lot of stuff happening and every day looks different. And I really love that. I think I would die if I had the same day every day in and out. I would just... Yeah, that's not me. I know I ask every entrepreneur who I've been interviewing lately the same question. Would you go back to 9 to 5 job if you had a choice, you know? I think I would kill myself if I went back to a 9 to 5 job. I've been thinking like I think every entrepreneur at some point when it's like when we're dealing with problems and difficulties, you you think about the fact, should I just go back and get a 9 to 5 job? And every time I'm like, first of all, I don't know what that job would be don't know which company would actually be able to offer me a job where I think that I would be challenged and have fun and all these things. So the thought is kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't really see it happening. What keeps you in the entrepreneurial journey? Oh, you said, you know, about the struggles and sometimes people give up and they go back to nine to five job. What keeps you in this? I think um, that's the same thing that got me into it is, is the passion. The passion with the people in this area that people are just really strongly believing in what they're doing and and I mean and then personally for my sake I mean I build a business around two things that I love and I get to work with that and amazing people every day and that is just incredibly humbling and awesome (laughs) It's, it's really yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't not do that it is awesome yeah I'll totally agree with you Helena on your LinkedIn profile, and I also mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, you have stated that you are queen of UX. <laughs> Could you tell why? Well, actually, I want to say that I didn't state it. It was actually somebody else who said that I was the queen of UX. And, and the worst thing is that to this day, I do not remember who it was. But there was a person who was like, oh, you're like the queen of UX. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I am. And I just kind of owned it. So it's not self-proclaimed, although I also say that sometimes. I'm definitely not the best UX designer. I'm not claiming at all to like be the best 
I'm claiming to actively work in the industry to make the ecosystem better and stronger. So in a sense, I am a queen ruling a, my queendom, kingdom, I don't know. <laughs> so, so in that sense, right, I'm trying to make the everyday life better for the average UX designer. You're doing a great job because, you know, I checked your homepage and I really like it. It's <laughs> by UX standards. Yeah. You know, it's really user friendly. What could you tell me more about yourself? Where are you from? Your aspirations? I know your passion is UX, but there must well, actually, be... Actually, UX and startups. I think startups is just uh, amazing. Start with myself. So I'm, I'm a classically trained designer from Culling Design School, which is one of the two acknowledged design schools. Not, not, we get designers from all over Copenhagen and Denmark, but like these are the two like design schools that are really acknowledged. So in a sense, I'm... I'm a bit off and I remember like when I started I was the only one who just knew that I was going to work with uh, digital products that that was where my passion lies and actually on a personal basis I totally love mobile device and products I think uh, websites are actually quite horrible there's too much space on them and then I went on exchange in Vancouver at Emily Carr and I had a teacher there David Drucker and he like kind of encouraged everybody to go to the startup weekend and that like back then I didn't really, like I know the word startup, but I didn't actually know what it meant. And I went to the Startup Week in Vancouver, which was like really, really high level. Like we were expected, every team on the Startup Weekend was expected to have sold products by the Sunday evening. So like that, there was way more pressure than there has been in other Startup Weekends I've attended, even other Canadian ones. And I just, I was completely astounded by the passion the people in my group had and there's especially one guy who like really stood out for me and like and the funny thing is he doesn't work with startup anymore but like he is really like when I think of him I like to see this startup fire and that was just like from having worked these nine to five jobs earlier and just only met the people who would work so they could save up and go on vacation that was kind of the life circle I was like whoa this is just putting like a new standards for what is it that we should strive for in life and yeah then I got kind of hooked and then things just spiraled from crazy from there. You seem very enthusiastic about this startup. And I guess <laughs> every entrepreneur has to have this fire to strive and achieve and succeed. If you had to describe entrepreneurship in like three words, what would they be? So definitely passion. I think the most successful entrepreneurs are the ones that are doing something that they're truly passionate about. And you can feel that shining through the things that they do. Then I think it's the drive because you're going to have the ups and downs, probably have a lot of downs and a lot of like annoying and hard things to work through. And if you don't have the drive to push through it, then you're not going to be successful. And the last word would be yeah, dedication, which kind of ties into the other words as well, right? That you need to want to succeed. Um, because, I mean, we, we have a tendency to look at the successful startups and just think, oh, they're just so successful, it just came overnight. And like, no, 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 no. There's always people who've been struggling and people who've been told that what they're doing is dumb and stupid and how are you going to make money and all these things. And the, the people who are dedicated to what they're doing and yeah, they're going to be the ones that are successful. And I actually want to add one thing as well. I think being married to the idea and what you're trying to achieve is so much more important than being married to like a specific way of doing it. So that dedication and 
pushing through and in and the the will to change things so that we're sure that we're gonna build the right thing and not yeah some entrepreneurs said to me that being and start a founder is like being in a marriage <laughs> because it's actually sometimes feels like you are like spending the most of their time with your startup another entrepreneur also said to me that it's like uh, taking care of a baby it's like a baby that you nurture, that you invest time in, that you feed. So, you know. I definitely, I, I agree with that. I see it as a, not a marriage, I see it as a baby. And I f it's really funny because, I mean, I'm 30 plus and a lot of my girlfriends are having kids right now. And the, the way that they talk about their children and their pregnancies and whatever, that's kind of how I talk about my business. And I cannot, like, under prioritize it because then my baby is gonna die <laughs> i need to spend time and energy in in it and there's definitely some friendships that where i've had to explain it that way for them to understand it i think the relationship you have with your co-founder or partner or whatever you call them that's more the marriage where you need to make it work but the priority number one is always going to be the baby which is startup yes what's your personal life goals so it's actually funny because I was just speaking at fuck up nights and I kind of started it a little bit differently. So I started like asking the audience what was their purpose in life? What is their life goals? And uh, I've ha I have two life goals and one of them has been with me for like decades, I think. And the other one is uh, quite new. The first one is to be happy. And I think... Um, like sometimes we go through hardship and we go through things that sucks. But if you you step out and you still look at your life and you're still feeling happy with what you're doing and where you are, then that's fine. And I think some like I definitely think that there's too many people that forget to ask themselves, am I actually happy and not just content and not just safe, but like and just remember that we're not trees. If you're unhappy with your life or stuff in your life, you need to change stuff. Then the other thing is um, success, not being successful. There's a huge difference between being successful and then what my life goal is, is feeling successful. Because, um, and I, I love this, I was at the Tech Barbecue, which is like this big summit for tech and startups in Copenhagen. And there was a speaker, there was a like, friend of Elon Musk. He was like kind of bragging about how, yeah, Elon Musk like, used to sleep on my couch. And I was like, Ugh. But, but the point was really great because he told me about this was like when Elon was the, like the t like the height with Tesla was really hitting through the market and everybody was just like, whoa, and he was shitty. He was like in a mentally in a very, very negative space and he was not doing well and he was sleeping on his friend's couch because all his money was being spent on Tesla. And I think that's the point that I don't want to be successful when the payoff is that I feel like shit because my life is only once. So I would rather feel successful. And then perhaps on paper, there's some things that aren't successful. So feeling successful is really important to me. And I do that on so a daily basis. Instead of being successful financially, you want to be successful mentally. Yeah, the whole like feeling that you're doing an impact. I think it's a real shame that in our society today, when we look at entrepreneurship, we really measure it against financial sustainability or surplus. 
I mean, you can't build a, like the big accelerators like Y Combinator are not even interested in your Combinator unless you can like reach 1 billion people. And that's just such a shame because financial like success is not necessarily equals like that you actually have a successful product or service. That's interesting. How do you measure your success? You know, like what's your key performance indicators? It's actually something that we're not very good at at CPHX. We started to look a lot on like a social media with like actual numbers. But we also have like different so so CPHX is like a company that's like has three different columns and they're doing very different things. I mean, I'm community lead. So for instance, I obviously look at how many people are actually signing up for the event, how many people are showing up, getting full house, basically. But we don't have any, like, overall KPIs, and I know we should, but we just, that's not how we've been working so far. I think it's always, again, the people who are in the company influences how you work with stuff. So if we had people who are more KPI-focused, we would work differently. Okay, that's interesting. I know I asked you about uh, why entrepreneurship, right? But what was your driving force of becoming an entrepreneur? I mean, it's always hard because, like, that's the whole point. Like, being an entrepreneur, saying, I want to be an entrepreneur, that's, that's easy. But, like, finding the right idea and the right thing to work with, that is hard. So, I mean, my entrepreneurial journey, I would say, started in 2014. And it, it was a lot of observing how other people did things and what they were doing. I didn't call myself an entrepreneur back then because I didn't have a company, but like just kind of learning from the ecosystem and from people. And I think the driving force has really been wanting to do something like I felt there was a need for something to kind of both bridge the gap between designers. Like I know people who don't actually have a like vast knowledge of the people that are around them and that's such a shame because the, the larger the network the stronger the network we have the the more we're actually able to push ourselves and the limits to what we can do so i think there was just like this drive from my side to create a social impact as well and be able to share that knowledge that is being built up in each person in, in each individual really how old is the company so we started in February 2017. Back then, it was me and Rose Kampmann, who was, she was at that point lead UX designer at Grundfos. And her and I met first actually at one of my events. And then uh, the second time we met was at another event. And we were just talking about, we were grabbing a beer afterwards at Mookie Bar on Nabro. And just talking about like how hard it is when you graduated uh, to be able to still like, learn new skills and keep on pushing your professional career while being busy and we just talked about that there should be something that kind of does that afterwards and that is actually the the idea of cphx was born that evening and the next day we bought the domain so the idea of cph ux started in a bar yeah <laughs> fancy it's not that I'm like encouraging alcoholism, but I think it's so important to take the time sometimes to go out and have that beer with people and with people where you're like, and especially like stop having a hidden agenda for stuff. Just go out and meet people in an honest way and just have an honest conversation and be genuinely interested in other people and then magic can really happen. But I mean, CPHX had like from that it had like definitely a crazy journey as well. And for a long time, I thought CPHX would always be like 
a side project of mine, I was never going to actually generate enough money for me to be successful or like financially successful. And from that time, like if you had asked me a year ago what CPHX was back then and what it is today, has changed a lot. We've really found ourselves and, and we're really pushing to make sure that we will become financial sustainable and also, of course, making the impact for the designers in Copenhagen. So if you had a leverage, right, you know, if you have a scale, on one side you have impact, on the other side you have financial stability. Which do you choose? I think that there's several types of entrepreneurs and I don't think that you're right or wrong being one or the other. I think what type of entrepreneur you is, is up to you and what you want to do with your life. And if your goal is to make a fuck ton of money, then 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 go and sell like shoes online like Zalando. I don't know the, the story of the founders behind Zalando.com, but I'm like I, I have a hard time seeing a guy like guys being super passionate about selling shoes. Perhaps I'm wrong, but like there are definitely people, I meet them on a regular basis. They are entrepreneurs so that they can make a company and be sold to another company, be bought for like a lot of money and then have that financial freedom to do whatever and then make new companies. And I, I think that they are completely entitled to have that goal in their life. That's not the goal that I have in my life. I've also previously struggled a lot with the companies that are really based on consumerism, like just producing a lot of crappy products because I'm like, the world doesn't need more crap, like on a general basis, right? Uh, so like, please make stuff that actually makes an impact and that matters to people. Scale-wise, I think that's really, really hard to like answer. I mean, of course, the dream for me is a Tesla and the financial stability to do whatever and work whatever. But one of the reasons why I want to be an entrepreneur is also because I don't want to work eight hours every day. I don't want to, I want to work because I think it's funny, because I like it. Even the, like, even the boring stuff, I want to do it because I'm still like, I'm like, I see the meaning in what I'm doing and it's a choice that I'm making. I have a friend of mine, he's a friend who's um, in Berlin and he was literally being like, I can't see you. Like I was in Berlin and he's like, I can't see you because I just felt like I haven't worked enough hour this month, like this week. And he's like worked like, I think 40, 50 hours. And I was like, dude, like come on this is your life you only get it once like if i said this before as well like i think it's such a shame when we just think that life is only about making this successful startup and making a lot of money and of course i'm saying this from a very privileged point of view because we are privileged in denmark and we do have a security net and worst case scenario if i can't make this thing go around i will be caught by the financial security net in denmark and i can start again i know this and I know that people are in different situations in other places, but I still think that the most successful startups are the ones where you can really feel the passion and the drive from the founders. And in general, like being an entrepreneur and a designer, like for me, it's so important to build good products, good services. Think about the users. I think it's important nowadays to build quality over quantity. Now I would like to also know more about the CPH UX, you know, and I'm sure that listeners also would like to know that. Maybe you can start by explaining to the listeners and basically to me to clarify what is actually UX stands for. Yes, so UX is an abbreviation of user experience. First of all, there's no like industry acknowledged definition of UX. So that's that's kind of like a good place to start. And actually it's funny because in every podcast I do in YUX, I actually ask my list, like my interviewee, like this question. And every time I get a different answer and it's, it's great. 
for me, I think I have a like more soft look at it. Usually when we say UX, we talk about the experience of using digital products and how to design for that. But I also see UX and like now CX customer experience is also popping up. And what is the difference between customer experience and service design and UX? I've done events about this. Like it's not like I haven't like looked into it. But my point is just that I think the user experience, we we have user experience every time we do something. Every time I sit down in a chair, I have an experience of using this chair. And whenever I use a digital product, I have an experience about using that digital product. And if I can't figure it out, then the design is poorly done. And that's not the user that's stupid. That's the designers that are... And, you know, a lot of the time, companies don't have designers. So they have engineers or programmers that are sitting and building the user experience. Sometimes they will be very talented. Sometimes they will be horrible at it. And that's the point that UX is always being done by somebody. And that person doesn't need to have a degree or a course or even knowledge about UX to actually make good experiences. And I think that's really important to kind of state. And that's also the beauty of UX as a career, because it's not that important what degree you have it's more important what can you do how can you emphasize with the users how can you translate insights into good user experience for the end user but i think like ux for me it's not just about how does it feel to use an app it's bigger than that i think the entire interaction we have with the company or a product or service that is all part of the user's experience of And I think that's how you should look at it. So that's also why it's so important that the designers or the people doing the UX is talking to marketing, is talking to development teams, talking to user insights, growth hackers, whoever is on the team, so that you make sure that insights are being handed over from other departments if you are in a larger company. The next question that I'll ask you is kind of obvious, you know, because your name of the company is CPHUX. However, I'm still curious, how did you come up with this name and what's the story behind it, basically? Yeah, so CPH is a short for Copenhagen, in case somebody didn't know that, and UX is short for user experience. And as again, like that, that will take us back to Mugiba again with Rose. And it was basically like, I remember that time I was really tired of, yeah, there's so many online communities and it's so easy to join a group on Facebook or like a page or click, 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 click. And then you sit as an individual and you're not engaging and you're just observing. I mean, that is also fine, but you're not a part of the conversation. You're not meeting people. And I wanted to kind of say, we need something that's like the analog meeting between people in order to build a community, being a follower, a passive follower of a, if an in, like engaging site is not enough. And also like, again, stepping away from the vanity numbers. So yeah, so, so it was very much focused on what is going on in Copenhagen, the designers that are in Copenhagen. And that's also something that we've been like really striving to keep an eye on. Like we want to do something for people in Copenhagen and it's not that we don't care about Malmö, which is really close, or Odense or Aarhus or whatever, but it's more like we're trying to build a community for these people. And the vision that I have as well is to make CPHX one chapter of a lot of different cities so that when you move to a new city, you can tap into the CPHX or the, let's say, Berlin. Like, and then you would be able to go in and say, oh, I can actually see what companies are posting jobs. 
I can see what events are happening. I can see, like, I can meet people and get a sense of the ecosystem. And that's really what we're trying to do. We want to be this kind of beacon, a light tower for people in Copenhagen to get an overview of what is going on in the ecosystem. And that's also why we really like, and I've talked a lot to my peers about this, we really need to be sure that we are embracing the other things that are happening, even though they might be our competitors, in a sense. If we are not embracing them, then we're not showing the real colors of the community in Copenhagen, and then we're failing. Have you thought about, because uh, I, I try to catch all this, the Berlin story and everything, are you thinking about like expanding to another country? I really want to. <laughs> but I think it's it's always about like we need to right now so you actually previously asked which stage we're on so we're right now at the stage where we're trying to stabilize the business and we're trying to make it a healthy business meaning that we can pay to the core members and all these things and right now we're not doing that we haven't managed that we're still working on fine-tuning a lot of things and until we have that stability then no We need to make sure that the core is working before we start trying to build it in other cities. We did actually try for a period to do like CLJ UX, so Kluge in Romania, just to like do like, just test it. Like what the fuck, like it can only fail. And it failed because uh, we found out that their marketing, like the, the UX marketing Kluge is simply not mature enough. And that again requires that uh, the companies and like understand the value of UX and if it's too small it doesn't make sense for us to make a chapter. So if you're gonna move into a different city you're gonna change the first three letters? Yeah that's the whole point of it that you will always know kind of where you are and that it was able. Back in the days I was interning at Founders House which is a co-working space for scalable tech startups in Copenhagen and I think the the most important thing I learned was really like you need to build a scalable business. If you're not building a scalable business, then you're just going to be limited. Your success is always going to be limited. So I've always had that in the back of my mind that it needs to be scalable. And that's why CPHUX. So it's really easy to change the first three letters and then like add on to it. And I hope like my dream is really to travel around and open the chapters and also travel around and make sure that the chapters are living by the vision and the mission and like that they are achieving the impact and not just becoming a greedy money focused company because that's not the point of what we're doing here so the idea is to make like a group of different ux companies in different countries like umbrella yeah yeah that definitely and i think it would be super cool Because if you ever lived, like if you ever had to like move to a new country or a new city, even it's just like you, you come and you're like, well, I don't know where to go and like where to get like an overview. And then you, there's a lot of legwork that has to be done, which is even harder when you're new. Right. And that, I mean, if we are able to open those gates and make it easy for people to get access to information that is relevant and important to them. Then we're also really opening up for, first of all, diversity to come faster and also just breaking down borders in a sense. I feel like, I mean, we're all brothers and sisters in a sense. So we should really try to embrace that. And I think we have a very diverse group of people in our community. And I fucking love that. It brings me so much to like be able to hear how other people see it and just also to hear about the cultural changes, which again are huge and very important and impactful. And that's something you also have mentioned in one of the articles that's laid on your LinkedIn, 
that uh, you really like the this multicultural you know environment of you know yeah learning different kind of cultures and you know I think that was my biggest concern moving back from Vancouver where I lived for a year and a half was just like I was really afraid that I was going to end up in this really Danish group where I would only be with Danish people I love Danes like don't get me wrong but uh, but just like I I love the diversity and that people surprise you and I mean I've heard a lot of uh, negative stereotypes about people and I just also seen them being broken down so many times and just I have so many friends from so many different cultures and I think it's so rich like it makes me a rich person what is rich for you well now we're talking about culturally rich and friendship rich right I think yeah I think rich is is um would you like to be rich on money or would you like to be rich on knowledge and experiences because that's one of the things that one of the previous entrepreneurs Martin Levdansky with you have to check out that podcast also he said that he would like to be rich on experiences and memory hmm. I mean I mean let's not be ignorant like money can buy you a ton of experiences that's just reality and and you're stupid and ignorant if you don't think that money is important and like that's just the reality of the world we live in and my mom was uh, very poor when i was a kid and she's always been like my entire life just like don't be poor like i don't care what you just don't be poor because it sucks and the funny thing is that now i am actually really poor but i don't feel poor and that's the most important thing and even from like even when i was a kid i always said that i collected experiences So when I was very young, I would say yes to things that I didn't necessarily think that I would like because I was like, well, it's going to be a new experience, so I can put that in my head and it will be mine forever even though I didn't like it. And I think that kind of mindset and approach to life has been super important to where I am today. I don't know, I think it's a balance. It's not one or the other. I think I'm thirsty for a very specific type of knowledge. Like you can see that from the things that i follow and the things that i read i read a lot about right now i'm really interested about um, ux and recruitment which makes sense because right now i'm focusing a lot of on on our talent academy which is helping junior designers get into the market so obviously i'm trying to grow that knowledge i think i'm not like i meet people who are like knowledge for the sake of knowledge and that's not me i mean i like to just lie on the couch and watch a silly movie <laughs> I just watched the interns. Yes, the internship with, with these two guys are like interning at Google yesterday was fucking stupid and funny and yeah. It's a nice movie. I have seen it. <laughs> I admit it. It's a really nice uh, afternoon evening movie, you know. Chill. Netflix and chill. Yeah, but you need to like you need to like relax your brain. I think sometimes we have such a pressure on us to like always be performing, always like being an entrepreneur in the fast-paced life. Like come on, we also we're human beings and we need to chill and we need to rest and that's actually something that I wish that I was better at. I wish I was better at relaxing and just kind of charging. In my old co-working space, we used to have a meditation room. Oh, they still do. And I love that. Just to go in and literally pull the plug on my brain and just do nothing mentally and But the problem is I really like it to do it lying down. So when you look at me from the outside it looks like I'm sleeping, right? Because I'm looking lying with my eyes closed completely like deep breaths, right? Uh, and I mean I have also fallen asleep sometimes but but that wasn't the point. The point was that I was lying and not thinking about anything for 20 minutes and it was great. 
I just got so much energy out of that. And now here at my current going space, we don't have a space like that. And I've tried to like just go on a couch, but I feel like such a weirdo when I'm like, like for, for other people to like, that's again my own like problem with like what people think of me and I care too much. You know what helps me, Helena? I recently started a new chapter in my life. I turned into vegetarian. So I stopped eating animal products. The only thing I eat is eggs from animals. It helped me a lot, you know, it gives a lot of energy, first of all. I never believed it. And also I started doing yoga and it really helps. Through all this intense working hours, just because I also have a nine to five job, not nine to five job, I usually work in the mornings, but you know, I still have the, my main job while mm -hmm. I'm still building my startup. So there's a lot of things I do daily. And when I have this yoga session, even though it's like 45 minutes, it relaxes me. It helps me to get away. And really, meditation really helps you to put you in self in balance. And it helps you to kind of see what's the next step you're going to do in your startup. I know, you know, I'm interviewing people. I'm kind of creating this vision, you know, gaining knowledge, spreading knowledge. And I'm really enjoying it because, you know, my grandma used to say that knowledge is the power. Knowledge gonna get you further down a road in life, and I totally agree with it. A lot of my friends are vegetarian and vegan, um, but being half from South America, I'm just like, I feel like it's kind of like meat is ingrained in my DNA, <laughs> and it's uh, it's ridiculous, really. But uh, I, uh, yeah, it's it's funny because I love vegetarian food and I don't mind that at all. I've I've had a lot of discussions with my boyfriends around this whole like can you eat a meal without meat? And I'm like, I don't have any issue with it at all. I don't really care. I don't care if it's there or if it's not there. And he, for him, it's like, if it's not there, there's something missing, like really missing, which of course is influencing me as well. But I must say, fucking love a steak tartare or just a steak. Just love, love steak. Steak is good. I know. Yeah. I know. It's My mouth beautiful. is even drooling right now when you're talking <laughs> about the steak. Yeah. But, you know, it's... But I've, I've heard it before that it gives you more energy. Um, but yeah. I mean, I uh, actually work uh, as a part-time as a fitness instructor. I teach classes and I wouldn't live without that either. Like this, being able to go somewhere and just exercise and you get so much energy from that as well. So um, I remember like there was a period when I was again building my... I had a startup in between uh, CPHX called Power Intern and... In that period, I was on unemployment insurance, which means that I couldn't work at a normal company. And so it, I had to like stop with my classes. And it was a horrible, horrible period of my time, of my life, because I just missed it so much. I also just miss like teaching and doing something that's completely different. Do you know the five lo uh, love languages and five languages of acknowledgement? No. So there's five ways to like uh, receive and give love and there's five ways of receiving and giving acknowledgement. So that's like the love is kind of the romantic side and acknowledgement is the professional side. And the first one is the verbal giving and receiving verbal acknowledgement. And then there's the physical touch, like giving a high five or fist bumps and these kind of things. Then there's uh, giving gifts, which can be like Oh, you look tense. I'll give you a massage or I'm going to bring cake to the office. And then there's receiving gifts. So the other like end of that bargain. And then the last one is time dedication. How much like so some people really want their boss to come and spend time with them one on one where they really feel heard. 
And I think, first of all, understanding what your employees' acknowledgement languages is really important, but also understanding your own and making sure that you get that acknowledgement. And for me, it's like definitely verbal is the most important one. So that's also why when I teach at the gym, every time somebody will come up and be like, that was just a great class. And I'm like, yeah. So, so like, and I, and I know that, and I know how to prioritize that in a sense. Um, and I'm also good at like telling my peers, like I used to live in a co-living space for um, entrepreneurs called Nest in Copenhagen. And I, I'd once, I cleaned the bathroom to be nice to them and nobody said anything. And I, I took it up in like one of our like casual dinners. And I was just like, you know what, guys, it's not that it's not that I need you to like pay me or anything. It's not like that. But I really live on acknowledgement. So when I do this, I just really want you to say that was super awesome. Thank you for that. Because then I'm like, yeah, that's how I cash in on the things that I do. It makes you feel better, right? When you, yeah. you get this acknowledgement for, you know, doing something. And it's, you know, it doesn't need to be like financially you know no saying thank you saying awesome words that you know kind of lifts up the person yeah you already told me how did you come up with your business idea but i would like to know what's unique about your business because after yesterday searching some of the similar companies that does similar things such as fiverr dribble and TopTile, you must heard about them What's unique about your business? How do you differentiate among your competitors? And, and I'm not saying these companies that I just mentioned are your competitors. Yeah, I definitely would not call Fiverr a competitor of ours. I think um, what we do is actually quite unique in the sense that we are pulling in on a lot of different things. Um, and I kind of want to, it's okay if I explain the company structure a little bit. So as I said before, we have three columns. The, the first one, which is also the foundation of the entire company, is community. And that's where I'm the lead. And that's where we started. In the, back in the days, CPHRX was only the community. And that was me doing events, which was, again, ticking off on the different missions. Um, and then I did the podcast as well, which was sharing knowledge about how other designers, what, how they got into UX design, what they do, and what they see the future bringing. So... Then we did the Talent Academy, which was kind of a spin-off of my other startups, uh, Power Intern, which was a mentorship uh, program for interns. And the Talent Academy was a two-week inter like course where we would like train these juniors in how to make a CV, how to write people on LinkedIn, how to do a cover letter, all these different things that you need to know when you're new to kind of stand out. And from doing that, we got contacted by Symbion, which is the co-working space we're currently sitting in. And they were like, it was funny, this guy, Peter, great guy. He was um, asking me what I really wanted. Like, what was I dreaming about? And I said, I dream about, like, this was really a dream. It was not something that I planned on realizing anytime soon. I was like, I really want to make a co-working space where designers can meet up. And especially because we do have a lot of silo designers. A silo designer means that you are the only designer in your company. And so you're the only one who has this creative mindset and you're just doing it all by yourself. And there's a lot of struggle with that because we do think very differently than a programmer does or a marketing person does. So I was like, I want to create this coding space where you can meet with your peers 
And then you can be like, hey, can I, can I borrow like five minutes of your time? Just go through this. Like, I want to hear your thoughts. And he was like, well, how about we do that? And I was just like, what? <laughs> Crazy. Um, and then, then suddenly from end of November, like I had like, this was like mid-November, I had this conversation. And then in January, we opened our co-working space, which was fucking insane. And that kind of took CPHX and just like spin it around. And like now we had to like up our game and we had to like figure out what the what are we now. And we started doing a membership. So we started charging for some of our events so that when you are a member, you get free access to the co-working space and you get free access to all the events. And yeah, just uh, building that as well on the website. We had some really talented people join us who I'm forever grateful for their time and energy, because without them, we wouldn't be where we are today. And then, then that kind of happened. And I met Marius at that time around as well. So he joined me and we opened the studio because I was getting approached quite regularly. So this is the, the second column of the CPHX, which is the studio. I was getting approached quite regularly by people who was like, can you help me design this? Or like, I need UX advice. And like, and I was just like, I don't have the energy or the time or the resources to do this. And, and the studio has never been, I was, I worked for six months with ItL, which is an Aarhus-based uh, studio. And I was like, this is not my dream. This is not what I want to do with my life. That's not my goal. But I, th- I saw that it making a lot of sense for us to do that because we do have all this traction coming in. Not like crazy traction, but we do have tractions, like people coming to us. And then Marius came in and he was like, he really wanted to do that. And I was like, fuck yeah, let's join forces. Again, with the whole point that it needs to be community-based. So one of the cool things about this is also that we actually have hired people from a co-working space. So the core community, the people that we know really well, to actually do work with the clients that we get in. And what we really, with something we're going to write into our contracts as well is, you are actually allowed to hire this person, but we just want to find this fee. So we're trying to get people hired through actually executing work where usually agencies are like, no, 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 you can't take our people with you. So we're trying, like, we're different in that approach. And also the fact that we can just hire in the best people for that assignment, which is really great. Then the third column is a job match, where we're looking for a job match lead right now. So if you know anybody who's like into recruitment and UX, send them our way. We would love to talk to them. But this is really about, the first thing is that we repost job posts. And that's what we really want to continue doing, being this place where you can get a sense of what are the jobs that are relevant for UX designers. Again, we've developed, I've developed a model called the RCAT model, which is the four mindsets of UX design. Which and we, I wanted to ask you about this one, by the okay, way. Well, let's get back to it. But so, so we've actually based a lot of the things that we do on that but we really want to kind of keep an eye on the fact that we want to be local we want to work we've we've also done a lot of research we found out that there's four different types of companies there's the companies who don't want to spend any money on it so they can go on our website upload their job post that's it fine no harm no foul we still get like the overall point of view then we have the people who want to spend a little bit of money so we're working we're building this right now as we speak where we want to, so when you upload a job post, then we will be able to say, okay, we actually have five people. Again, quality numbers, not quantity, not the fake vanity numbers. Because I see a lot of companies, oh, we have 500, like 
500 million people on a platform. Like, yeah, but how many are active and how many are actually relevant? Anyways, so like being able to send out an email to the right people being like, hey, these guys are actually looking for your profile. If you want to, you should apply for this job. Then the second, like the third version, which are the people who want to spend a bit more money, uh, they usually don't want to post the jobs themselves because they don't want to get all the, like when you post a job, you get a lot of trash applicants that are just like doing it because they need to because of the unemployment system and not because they're actually interested. So they, they want to be able to upload a job in a sense and then like look at the profiles that are relevant. So they don't post a job anywhere. So that's, of course, going to be more expensive than the last one of the people who just want to pay and get, like, made free candidates. And that's kind of it. They don't want to do a lot of the work. And yeah, and then we have the Talent Academy, which kind of falls in between community and the job match, which is basically teaching juniors how to get into the market. Okay, so it's like, um, I would not say it's a broad company structure, but... It is. There is some connection between each of the columns that you mentioned. I, I can yeah, understand, yeah. right? And we're really trying to build stronger connections between the three columns so that they're not just standing on their own, but they are, again, community-based and that they are, like, connected. Supporting each other. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned a lot about the company and I'm really, you know, engaging with it and really enjoying talking. But every company and by your means also yours have obstacles oh yeah so tell me about those what's your biggest obstacle i mean i think the first like real big obstacles that we met that i feel like we're we're like over one was the fact that community is not enough when cphx was only the community column there was just like not enough meat on it so i think yes being broader and embracing more I feel like I, I should have like a really catchy one-liner, but <laughs> I think right now my one-liner is something along like CPHRX is a community-based company. Boom. <laughs> it's so hard. So right now, the, the biggest obstacle that we have is definitely stabilizing and finding the right revenue models and pricing, like figuring out where should it be so that we are generating enough revenue and being able to stabilize it because what I really want to do is obviously I want to hire like a person to replace me so that I can go to Berlin or I don't know Oslo or London or whatever Canada Vancouver and establish new chapters there and build up like and make the business expand and also because I think that we have like a lot of UX knowledge that are very different from city to city so trying to make sure that we can pass over to each other so that we're learning and growing as an industry better and faster. Do you think it's possible to like to connect all the dots because you mentioned, you know, different countries, different UXs, you know? I think it is. I think the, the only obstacle is really the financial side of, of finding like, I mean, of course, we're like stabilizing it, but I feel like we've, we have the good recipe now. And now the next steps would be to find the right people in the right cities and understanding the cultural differences, because obviously there are cultural things to take into consideration. And then, but you always have those culture, like community builders. There are other community builders in Copenhagen than me, definitely, even in the UX ecosystem. And you want to make sure that they 
feel like they're part of it, that they feel like they're respected and heard and acknowledged and all these things, because that's the point. We're not trying to make a war. We're trying to make a joint movement of like, let's be better designers. I think having knowledge as one of the the visions is also super important. Or the, the missions, yeah. If you should say one app or website that actually has the best UX of your opinion, which would it be? I would probably, it's funny because I don't have this app myself, but it would be Spotify. I think Spotify is an amazing product that has really moved the boundaries of what to expect from a music playing app. And I think Spotify is one of the few companies that are really like using AI really well as well. And I think AI is definitely the future for our industry as well. There's going to be huge advantages in that. Because the point is that Spotify took something like, I want to hear music, awesome. Back in the days, I would never put on music myself because I would always be a little bit afraid that people would judge me. Also, I'm like, I used to be a hardcore hip-hop girl. Not a lot of people like hip-hop, so like, kind of meet a little bit of clashes there. And I think the whole fact that Spotify, I mean, back in the days when you bought CDs, you were so limited to what people had introduced to you because you would go down to the CD store and like making, purchasing an album would be a big investment. So you wouldn't just do that off like, oh, it's a cool cover. I mean, I don't, didn't have that much money to do that, at least when I was kid. Whereas Spotify now, you can like listen to some different music and it will suggest you different types of musicians that are in the same kind of style. And I think that is like so important for like, music is so important. I think we don't talk enough about the importance of music. But just like being able to expand people's horizon in a way that they don't find disruptive or like they're not being attacked or getting stuffed, stuffed down the throat. They're making a choice and they're empowered in doing so. I recently started reading a book and that's kind of upon the, what you're saying, you know, how unique the Spotify is. I started reading a book and I also have posted on my um, Sweetcast Media latest post. The name of the book is Simplify. The idea behind the book, and I really admire the person who wrote it, is that he puts together a lot of founders and startups and a lot of, now they are not startups anymore, but they were startups like Apple, like Ford cars, like McDonald's, Mm. Uber. And he tells about why the best businesses in the world succeed, because they have a simple business plan. And uh, that also brings me to the point that uh, I was once listening to TED Talk with uh, Simon Sinek mm-hmm. about the golden circle. Maybe you have heard about it. And I totally agree with, because if you believe in what you create, then others going to believe, you know. And if you think from why are you building it, not what you're building it, you're going to succeed. If you believe what you believe in, then you know others are going to believe in. We mentioned UX, right? And you also mentioned CX. Yeah. Yeah, customer experience. But there is another thing, UI. I have read online that people are kind of mixing those two together. And since I have a specialist right now, I would like to ask, UX or UI, what's the difference? Yeah, so that's a beautiful mess, really. I personally think that UI is falling underneath UX. UI is one of the, I think UX is covering 
15 different things you can specialize within. At least 15. I think it's even more now with conversational design and all this. But UI is the visual, it's basically actually GUI, graphical user interface, user interface. Um, it's funny that you're actually mentioning it now because as I said just to talk yesterday, this guy was talking about the difference and UI is actually also the keyboard and the mouse. It's the way that we interact with the user interface. GUI is graphical user interface and that was really what Apple like revolutionized in back in the days with like creating graphical user interface where people could interact with it. And suddenly we didn't have to code anything from to be able to use a computer. UI is what you see when you go on a website. It's the things on the screen. The UX is how it feels to use it. If I click a button, am I going the right place? That's the user experience. And actually the information architecture, which again is another thing you can specialize within. UI is super important. And we have designers that are specialized in only that. Some people, like personally, I'm not a great UI designer. I'm a great UX designer. I care a lot about the research and the why and making an app that people is intuitive and that's doing what the goal of the app is to do, right? So that always depends. I'm not a strong visual designer. Like, definitely not. I can make really ugly visual designs. If I get some guidelines to work from, I can make way better visual designs. And that's what UI is. But it's it's also an understanding of the formats that we're working within the screen. So, like, how big should a button be? Bottom should minimum be 10 by 10 pixels, because otherwise, if it's mobile, at least you won't be able to click it. And how is our behavior differently when we are using our fingers as cursors compared to using an actual cursor on a screen? So there's all these kind of different things that UI designers need to take care of. But UI, in my opinion, falls underneath UX. Now I was listening and I was trying to kind of understand the different, you know, like points. So you were saying that UI is what you see. And UX is the experience of clicking that button. But I mean, they're super dependent on each other because if you have like ugly UI, then you might have the best user flow in the world. But if people can't understand the user flow because they can't see what they're supposed to do, then, well, obviously it's not that good of a user flow either, but yeah. So I made so many people who are like, come and help us. We need some UX. But the problem is that they've developed the product so far that the only thing that they have left to work with is actually the UI. Because the UX is so, like, if they have already coded the entire product, the entire service, the entire app, then we can't do anything about the flow because that has already been defined. And that's also why a lot of people take in designers too late. And there's a difference between taking in a UI designer to, if you have a perfect flow that just works and you've tested it, it's working nicely, that's great. And that's, again... What I said earlier that a lot of people can do really good UX even though they're not designers. But if you can't make a nice website, if you can't make it look pretty, which is again also one of the things, that's the first thing a person will see. So they will also judge you from there. And this is again also tying into brand and understanding what are the values that we're trying to communicate through visual elements on a screen or display or whatever. So basically UI and UX cannot stand without each other. They have to be hand in hand. No, because UX is also like uh, when you use Alexa, you don't have a UI. You don't have a graphical user interface. You only use voice, but the user experience from using Alexa or Google Home or whatever, like audio driven device is also a user experience. So UX can definitely be without UI, but UI, I would say, cannot be without UX. 
depending on the product and the service and where you're using it. You just mentioned Alexa and I thought like the UX is, you know, the voice recognition. Couldn't you say UI is how the speaker looks? No, that's industrial design. That's industrial design. But that's but I, I get the parallel that you're making. And then ID designers, industrial designers, the point is that the way that they work and the skill set that they have, we're still like the the goal of the UI and the ID designer is the same. It's to create an aesthetical product that is representing the right values and communicating the right things, right? But the tools and the knowledge that they have to do that are very, very different. Some people can translate the two things and move from, we see a lot of UX designers coming in from industrial design. To be a UI designer, you have to have a lot of patience. You have to love pixel pushing. You need to want to explore like the different shades of like the different shades of blue or whatever. And I mean, Alberto, who was like talking yesterday, he, he wanted to explore the colors. They had four colors and he ended up making 486 types of tests with like, how would this color go with this background and font and like all these things to like really explore it. And I mean, as a UX designer that I think if, if I were to do that, I would like shoot myself in the head. I think that sounds ridiculously boring. But for him, it provides a lot of value because he is a visual designer and UI designer as well. Yeah, I'm not a UX and UI designer. I'm not a designer by any means, right? But, you know, I have spent a lot of my early 20s sitting in front of Photoshop, sitting in front of Illustrator, making photos, trying to adjust them and everything. And I totally understand, Alberto, that, you know, it's addiction. Because, you know, when I make something, if there is a small inch, tiny, tiny inch that you can see between like one line and another one, and if that annoys me, yeah, I have to get rid of it because I cannot look at it. And, and, and I totally agree, don't think. I mean, I can also get OCD like that. Yes. And just be like, it needs to be yes. pixel perfect. Yes. Yeah, don't, definitely. I think I have, a, I have a good tendency to like, do that with the right things and then also just say fuck it ship it to a lot of other stuff where i'm just like okay we have now spent too much time on this it's not that important if it's something you can print once and do like for a little thing then fuck it ship it it's a balance totally we spoke about cph ux and all the experiences and everything i would like to ask a question since you know let's rewind back those two years since cph ux already exists mm. If you had a chance to start all over again, what would you do different? Because <laughs> you, as I have been listening to you all this time, you have huge experience and you have really, you stand for what you believe in and you really have passion for what you do. I don't think that you put money as a first thing while you are building all this. I think it's actually funny that you say that because I think if I were to give myself an advice, it would like to focus more on the money in a sense. Okay. Because, I mean, all the other things come so natural to me. That, so that's not something that I need to, like, emphasize. But, like, it's funny because I am in a sense and I'm not in other senses. But I'm not good at pricing, for instance. And I feel uncomfortable asking for money, I think. Especially because you work with community, right? You're working with people. And you don't want to financially exploit the people. Like, that's the worst thing. If we would get that reputation, that would destroy us completely. So it's, it's such a fine balance, but uh, I think when I finished my master degree and I just, I think I wish that I would have like, yeah, like being able to say like, 
first of all, like community is not working, like that's okay. We're building a lot of social capital, not a lot of financial capital. And that's something we talk a lot about in our business to balance the two. But just like, yeah, try to find somebody. And I feel like I've tried that as well. Like somebody else who has like more eyes on the price in a sense. But I mean, I'm not expecting to get an investor on board because I don't think investors will see the potential in what we're doing. And I don't, I'm not like going to try spend hours and hours and days and days trying to convince people that don't believe in what we're doing. I'm like, then you're not the right people to come on board. And I believe that we will be successful no matter what. So, yeah. I totally agree with you because I'm not building this podcast and I'm not building because I want to kind of everybody become entrepreneurs, right? There will be people who will listen to it and there will be people who will not listen to it and will ignore it. Mm. I think that people who will listen they will be the winners because, you know, their life going to be way different than actually their lives is currently. It's, it can be struggles. It can be obstacles. It can be hard. Totally agree. It's a torture sometimes. <laughs> sometimes you lose patience and everything. But in the long term, that's the win because we all are trying to make an impact and we are making the positive impact. Like me, you. Everybody is trying to make a positive impact and, you know, eventually it's gonna change the world for a better place. Oh, I really hope so. <laughs> Let's hope for that. I don't think everybody is trying to make a positive impact, uh, but, um, but yeah, in Denmark, majority is, but like there's definitely people in other countries that don't no. care about the world and don't care about other people and just want to get rich for any price. But anyways. Yes. Now it's your time to shine, Helena. <sighs> Because as you told me that you started being as entrepreneur, even though you didn't call yourself that time in 2014. Mm -hmm. So now is your time to shine because you have what? Five years under your belt as being, you know, a person who can give quality advice. And in this case, I want to ask you, what do you think are the main key activities that a new entrepreneur has to invest their time in to succeed their goals and be in the place that you are currently in? I think it depends. Like, first of all, I think like finding the right thing to work with is like the most important thing. So like not just choosing to do something just for the sake of it, but actually do it because this is what you want to do on the long term. So like find your passion and that takes time. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I started my career. Like it took a lot of time and a lot of hardship and a lot of frustration and just like, ah, and a lot of attempts in other things as well. And going to startup weekends and trying to like build your network, that's kind of number two. So figuring out what you want to work with and then building your network. In the meanwhile, go out and like listen to people that are smarter than you, that have tried more things, that are more experienced than you, because they have so much that you can learn from. And Asking questions as well, like, like, don't be afraid to ask stupid questions. I asked what bootstrap was one time and I was like, well, I remember, this is like, well, it's actually hard because it could be like three different things. So obviously you're confused. And like, if I hadn't asked that question, I'd just have walked around and feeling stupid. So like, ask those stupid questions because like, then you will become smarter, period. And then surround yourself with good people, trust your gut instinct. I have like definitely overlooked my gut instincts sometimes and it hasn't been a good experience. Like, so listen to your guts. It will like guide you along a lot of the way 
but you learn from those mistakes and those experiences and it makes you into a stronger person. Well, I mean, I learned from it in the sense that I know now to trust my gut. Yes. And that will save. But if I had trust in my gut from the very get-go, I mean, but that's the point. You need to sometimes test if your gut is right or wrong. Sometimes your gut is also wrong. But there's definitely things where I was like, why did you do that? Like everything in you was like screaming, don't do that. Like, why did you have to try it off anyway? But yeah, again. And then build a community. I think uh, the the more you can build a following of people being genuinely interested in what you do, the more it's going to help you. I mean, I once sent out a survey to the to the Sound Academy and I was asked, like, just like one of the questions was just like, how would you feel if CPHX closed tomorrow? And like the response I got from that was just like, wow, like people were just like, I would like be devastated and the, that that would be horrible. And that is what you should look at in those times of doubt and despair and, and f- like, fuck, everything is fucking going the wrong way. Why? Ah, that's why you need to take that out and look at it and like, uh, and give people the voice to express their exp- uh, the excitement about what you're doing and, and that, par- that they're part of it. So like really embrace the people because then you will have a, like your support and a loyalty as well and loyalty is just you can't buy loyalty you have to build it do you have any mentor i've had several different types of mentors i actually only have one right now but i've had like i've had like a leadership mentor i had a business mentor i've had like i think two business mentors then i just had like my she keeps me sane mentor where like i will call her sometimes when i feel like everything i'm just like and then I'll call her and just be able to like just in a sense unload and I'll be able to tell her all the things that's going on and she will just take a step back and just give me other advice and I also have a guy a mentor who's like helping me with like like very practical mentor helping me kind of go in and like work with the municipalities as well which is like stuff that I wouldn't be able to do alone Um, and he's opening a lot of bridges I think mentorship is completely underestimated and if you haven't had a mentor before, my first mentor was complete shit. It was a graphic designer that, I mean, he wasn't shit as a person, but it was just like a really bad fit. I was a UX designer. I knew that I wanted to work with interaction design and digital products. And he was a graphic designer and he was trying to push down graphic design on me. And I was just like, don't want to, I don't like it here. I mean, I could have walked away and that, like let that be my final experience. But like, thank God I'm still like, and I'm, when I'm, I'm insecure about an area like leadership, for instance, I went down and I asked my network and I was like, I would like to have a person who has experience with leadership so that I can ask all these questions about how the F do I deal with this and that. It's super, super great. And we like having done a mentorship program as well, which we still use for our interns is also like just super awesome to see the ripple effect and how they grow stronger and better with having a more senior person to lean on and ask for advice and also somebody to kind of guide them down the road as well. Okay, so mentorship is really a crucial thing that, you know, every, you know, founder, entrepreneur has to have. You know, when you are feeling down, there should be somebody who can pull you up back up and give you rechargeable energy. I mean, you can use, mentors can be used for a lot of different things. And Mm -hmm. I think that's also about who you are as a person. But I would definitely recommend getting a mentor. And it doesn't need to be that difficult. I mean, like, ask your network, ask people, hey, do you know 
ask specific people, just be like, hey, do you know anybody within this field or people that might be in that field or know somebody? And then just asking, hey, do you mind like we can meet up like once a month for like six months or something? Because it's a compliment. Being asked to be a mentor is a compliment. And of course, sometimes people don't have the time resources to do it. I mean, I've been asked to mentor people where I've, I've had to say no because I literally don't have the time. And also, I didn't feel like what they were trying to achieve was really made sense for my profile. But yes, uh, mentorship is, is really awesome and overlooked and should be recommended more. I think you would make a good mentor, <laughs> Elena. I'll, I'll tell you honestly, listening to you is like I'm listening to a TEDx talk. And then I'm like, I'm going to go and conquer the world now. I'm going to change yeah. the world for a better place. <laughs> Yeah, that's how it is when I'm listening to you right now. Well, um, thank you. Thank you for that. Right? I appreciate that. And I also will thank you right now for the lovely conversation because I've been really enjoying it. But before we're going to wrap it up, I would like to recap what we have been speaking about. And, you know, so today we had Helena Levison from CPH UX, a company that is building the bridge between UX designers and the businesses as a community. Some of the life goals that you said are to be happy and to feel successful, but not financially, but more doing the positive impact success. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I feel like more like the whole like feeling successful, like of course I also want to be financially successful. Of but course, everybody wants. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like that's just the, the cultural norms right now. So. Yes, of course. You started your entrepreneurial journey, even though you didn't call yourself as an entrepreneur in 2014. And the company CPA UX started in 2017. Mm. Some of the key takeaways that you suggesting other entrepreneurs were do what you are passionate about and what you can, you know, spend a lot of time with, as well as build a network, as well as ask stupid questions no matter how stupid they are, because it's going to open some doors, going to build more bridges. One more thing that seems very, very interesting that, you know, you start, you're telling me about the dream that, you know, your dream was to build this community. And it's really nice to see that this dream is coming true. And another thing that, you know, we clarify a little bit the difference between UX and UI is that UI is what you see. And UX is how that button feels to click and what's behind it. I hope you have enjoyed also this podcast experience. I know that you have been a podcast host. So in this time, how it feels being in other side of the microphone. Yeah, it was super fun. It was, uh, it was nice to also be able to share my story, right? Because I, I share other people's stories often. I want to just quickly give a shout out to all the people that are supporting CPHUX in all the different ways that they're doing it and just say thank you. Like the community is nothing without these people. And this is not just me. I'm just the shell that you see. And the last thing, now is the second time you can shine. And I'm sure that listeners will like to find out more about UX. So therefore the question, and I promise this is the last one, is where and how people can find you and read about you and CPA UX. Yeah. Our Facebook group is definitely where we're most active. And that's because Facebook is just a better app than uh, LinkedIn is, unfortunately, which sucks. 
But uh, so we're very active on Facebook where we post our events and our podcast and all the different things that we do. We are working on making our website more fun right now. It is a bit simple, but like follow us on Facebook and like on Instagram, we called CPHREX official. And then feel free to link up with me actually. But do please like generally, if you add people on LinkedIn, write a little note about who you are, why you're like wanting to link up. Whenever I get just like, links without any comment i'm always like oh my god like why are you so why do you not care much if you want to try to like make a contact with me so write a little comment that would be nice i thank you again elena thank you so much for having me was, of course it's great it was super enjoying yeah. and i definitely think that also the listeners have enjoyed so if you are a ux designer or a business that needs help with your app homepage, or any other digital product, remember to contact Helena or CPH UX team by sending them awesome message on yeah. Facebook, email, or on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right? Reach out and let's have a conversation. So thank you for listening and see you next time.